Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Jesus says, well, it says, Then the disciples came to him, came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they excuse me, understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now this passage of scripture has been used, unfortunately, to cause a lot of consternation in a lot of people, because it sure sounds like Jesus is deciding who's going to hear and who's not going to hear, doesn't it? That he's going to just blind some people and have other people hear. Well, tonight we're going to spend our whole study dealing with this section using the whole of Scripture to get to an actual correct interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. And I can't wait to show it to you because when you let the whole of the Scripture speak, this passage is going to come alive. So let's kind of lay our foundation. Jesus has been teaching many things to the people who had followed him to the shore of the sea. But he did most of his teaching using parables. Look over at chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and and as he sowed so we're just going to stop right there we're not going to continue with that but you see he told them many things in what in parables jump over to mark chapter 4 look at verses 1 through 3 in mark's account Mark chapter 4, and he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, and then we went into what we studied last week in the parable of the soils. So we see that Jesus has been using parables to teach. And a parable is like an analogy in the form of a story. Its purpose is to teach, but it needs an explanation. It needs an explanation. And go back to Matthew chapter 5 and take a look at the fact that you'll see that Jesus had been using parables in the past, but he's been explaining them to the masses as he used them. You're going to see that a change is happening now in our passage we're studying in chapter 13. But go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verses 13 through 16. Here he uses parables, if you will, and analogies, but he explains them to the crowd as he does it. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So here he was saying, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But he then clarified why he was, what he meant by these parables. But now something is changing. Now Jesus simply gives the parable to the crowd with no explanation. 
His explanation, as we studied last week, happened in private with his disciples. Go back to, to Mark and look at chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then he begins to explain it. So as you remember from our study, the explanation that we saw in Matthew chapter 13 that we looked at last week, and the explanation we see here in Mark 4 and looked at, that didn't happen in front of the whole crowd. In Matthew 5, he gave a parable, but then he explained it. But at this point, he gives parables, but he doesn't explain them. The explanation happened in secret and private, if you will, with his disciples. And actually, like I just hinted at, from this point on, Jesus is only going to speak to them in parables from now on. In Matthew 13, jump over to verses 34 and 35. Look at what it says. It says, all these things, Matthew 13, 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And he's quoting from Psalm 78. Go to Mark chapter 4. Look at verses 33 and 34. Mark chapter 4, verse 33 with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. All right. Are you ready to go there? It appears that Jesus is intentionally trying to give spiritual truth to some people and to keep it from others. Is that not what it looks like? And that is what's going on. I want you to hear me. Don't run down any roads that you think I'm going to because you don't know where we're going yet. But I want to deal honestly with the scripture. The scripture shows us that he is intentionally trying to give spiritual truth to some and keep it from others. By the way, let me tell you, the Bible said all along that it's always been that way. Go to James chapter 4, verse 6. Go to James chapter 4 and look at verse 6. In James chapter 4, in verse 6, the scripture says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see it? For those who are proud, God says, you're not going to get what you want. For those who are humble, I'll give you grace. Jesus does control who understands and who doesn't understand. Again, please don't think you know where I'm going, because you don't. But the scripture is very clear. He controls who understands and who doesn't understand. And we're going to get to why and how that all plays out and how that all works in just a little bit. Go to Exodus chapter 33. It's, this has been that way all along. In Exodus chapter 33, look at verses 12 through 19. In Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. Show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. 
And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you. I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Again, we see God, as he revealed himself, said to Moses when he showed him his goodness, he said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll show compassion to whom I'm going to show compassion. Again, don't think you know where I'm going. Let the scripture speak as we lay this foundation. So we see that God determines who gets mercy and who gets grace. Who gets, by the way, according to what we've looked at so far, who gets mercy and who gets grace? The humble. By the way, do you see the heart of Moses? Did you hear the prayer of Moses here in Exodus 33? He said, look, don't send us out unless you go with us. I, I can't do this unless you're with us. The only thing that will distinguish us as different from any other nation is the fact that you will go with us. God, show me your ways. I, I can't do this thing, but I need you. That is the heart that God responds to. And he reveals himself to those people who are humble. The proud who think they don't need him. The proud that think they don't, that they're righteous in and of themselves. What do they get from God? Nothing. Oh, he has chosen to give salvation to some. Or let me ask you, I'll ask you it this way. Has God chosen to give salvation to some and not give it to others? Yes. Hey, very good, Susan. She said it's available to all, but he gets to make the rules. You were make you read my notes. I literally wrote the answer is yes, but it's available to everyone. But they must meet God's requirements in order to receive it. That's where we're going to go. This passage that people have said, boy, that looks like he's not being fair. As we lay this all out, you're going to see it's wonderfully fair. It's more than generous. And it's going to make sense as we look at it tonight. So I want to just show you how much the scripture clearly says that God wants everyone to be saved. There are people out there in Christendom that teach that God's pre-chosen some people for heaven and some for hell. And if God draws you, you have no choice and you have to go to heaven because he wants you to be in heaven. And he's, he's made it, he's determined ahead of time that you're not going to heaven. You don't have a choice. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And let's let the scripture show us what the truth says. Go to Ezekiel chapter 18. I know I said Ezekiel and some of you started to shiver a little bit because how long we were in Ezekiel. But Actually, you might not have realized that we've been in Matthew way longer than we were in Ezekiel already, and we're only in chapter 13. Someone brought it up to me at the Wednesday night Bible study that we've been in Matthew coming up on two years already, and we're only in chapter 13. I got to tell you, I love that. That's awesome. And why are you in a hurry to get out of Matthew? All right. We may go to another book like Ezekiel, so you might want to enjoy Matthew while you got it. Go to Ezekiel. Look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating, by the way, that you is plural. What do you all mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? And this is what they would say. They would say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Jump over to verse 21 in the same chapter, 
Ezekiel 18, verse 21. He says, But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live and not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Pretty clear, isn't it? By the way, God answers his own question in the same chapter. Go down to verse 32. God says in 18, chapter 18, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. We could quote it. Many of you probably know it. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God's not wanting anyone to perish, but what? All to come to repentance. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and just look at one verse, verse 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He, this is God, is the propitiation, or Jesus, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you see it? There'll be some Christians that try to teach you that Jesus died only for those who are going to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, did He not? Jesus didn't die just for your and my sins, folks. He died for the sins of the whole world. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 10. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see the distinction? He's available to all, folks. When we talk about the fact that God's going to choose who's saved and who's not, we're being biblical. But if we say that in God's choosing who's going to be saved and who's not, He's already predetermined that some people have a chance and some people don't have a chance, that's not being biblical at all. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't have the pleasure in the death of anyone. He wants all to come to repentance. Now, He also knows, being knowledgeable and all knowledgeable, if you will, having omniscience, that there's only going to be few that actually respond because of the sinfulness of man. But we're going to show, though, that God opens eyes and He reveals truth, listen, only to the humble. Only to the humble. And that's going to explain why He's all of a sudden speaking to them in parables. But we'll get there in a little bit. What are God's requirements for salvation? Repentance and faith, the Bible says. That's a humble acknowledgement of our sins and an acceptance of Jesus through His sinless life and death in our place as the only one who can give us Righteousness. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verses 2 through 6. Jesus has been explaining this to them as he was preaching to them there on the mountain in the, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 2 through 6. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus had been laying it out. Remember when we did our study of the Sermon on the Mount? He's about to get into, I know you think you're okay because you haven't killed anybody, but I say if you've been angry with your brother, you've broken the law of God. I know you think you're righteous because you haven't committed adultery, but actually if you thought lustfully amongst, uh, uh, about a woman, you've committed it in your heart. He laid the foundation and he said, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to be one of these blessed, happy ones? 
Acknowledge your spiritual poverty, your sin, your condition. Grieve over that. Mourn because of that sin. And hunger and thirst for a righteousness from outside of you. What it, the requirements for salvation are repentance and faith. In Matthew chapter 11, look at verses 25 through 27. He's been making this clear all along. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. By the way, who does the Son choose to reveal the Father to? Yes, but who will He reveal Him to? The humble. Listen, He says, Father, thank You that You have not opened this truth up to the wise and the understanding and the learned, but You've revealed it to little children, for this was Your gracious will. L let me just remind you, as we've already dealt with this, the reason why this is God's gracious will is that He reveals it to the humble and those who come like children is because if it was in understood by intellect, let's be honest, in this room there's all different levels of intellect. You, you may look at me up here using the gifts that God's given me and think I'm super smart. Not really. Some of you engineers out there understand stuff that I don't understand. My kids who have been homeschooled will tell you, I was no help at all. <laughs> Their mama was a big help until they got to classes we hadn't even heard of before. And we introduced them to the computer and says, hey, go ahead, have fun, learn. And some of you, if I were to ask you, hey, what kind of grades did you get in school? You would, some of you would probably be glad to tell us. Some of you would say, next question. <laughs> We're about to have our last child graduate this May. Our last kid going through college is finishing this May. And he has no desire to go get any more of a degree after this. And he's even told us, Mom, Dad, C's make degrees. <laughs> you don't have to be intellectually smart to understand spiritual truth. It's his gracious will that it's revealed to everyone. You can come like a child and understand. Folks, at eight years old, I received salvation through understanding my sin and my need of a Savior. The Spirit of God in my humility of acknowledging my need. I had gone to church my whole life. My dad was a pastor. I had been put on the cradle roll like some of you probably were from the day I was born. And every time the door was open, I was there because my mom was the pianist. But there came a point in 1973 that the Spirit of God began to open my eyes to the fact that just going to church isn't going to be enough and that I need to do something personally about this that I've been hearing. And I humbled myself and said, I need this. And I received Him as my Savior. I didn't have all that much intellect, but it's His gracious will to reveal it to those of us who are humble enough to say, I need you. I ain't going anywhere without you, God. That was the heart that Moses had. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Look at verses 1 through 4. Jesus will be continuing it on as we get to chapter 18, sometimes in 2021 probably. But, but look at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Here they were coming saying, hey, who's the most impressive? Who's going to have done the most stuff to earn the kingdom and to be having the highest place in the kingdom? And he says, you still don't get it. You don't get into the kingdom by being impressive. You get into the kingdom by being humble like a child, acknowledging your help or your need of help. 
I remember when Nicole was little. Whenever she'd want us to pick her up, she'd say, hold you. <laughs> it was her way of saying, pick me up. I need you. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. The end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Not interesting. Everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. We're going to still deal with some tricky passages tonight, so stay with me here. But right now we've laid the foundation that salvation is available to everyone, but he'll reveal truth to the humble. But unfortunately, Jesus was dealing with a nation, the Jews, of people who had put faith in their own righteousness, hadn't they? They thought they were going to be in the kingdom because they, I don't do this and I don't do that. Remember the prayer that Jesus talked about, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector? I'm glad I'm not like this guy because I do this and I tithe and I do all that stuff. By the way, I've heard too many church people brag about all they've done. Now, actually, the one that got response from God was the one who said, I can't even look up, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, that guy's the one that's going to have his prayer answered. Go to Matthew 22. Look at verses 1 through 14. So Jesus has been calling out continually to a nation of people who are stubborn, stiff-necked. They've stopped their ears. And that's why he's about to change tacks with them. He's about to change, ta change tactics with them. And he's going to start to speak to them in parables. But look at what he says in Matthew 22 here, verses 1 through 14. It says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all of them whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Back in that day, whenever you were invited to a wedding feast, when you showed up, one of the ways that the, the guy that invited you acknowledged that you had been invited was he gave you a wedding garment to wear. It showed that you had been invited by the... It's like us bringing an invitation, if you will. How they worked it was when you showed up, the guy would put a wedding garment on you. By the way, doesn't the Bible teach that... The, our, our white garments are what? His righteousness. Here's a guy at the wedding feast without a wedding garment. In other words, he's saying, my righteousness is good enough. 
My clothes are good. I don't need your clothes. And what happened to the one that thought his righteousness would be enough? He was cast out. Oh, had Jesus been inviting the Jews before he went out and invited the people on the highway and the byways? Over and over and over. He himself even said, oh, I wish I could have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. But they weren't worthy. Why weren't they worthy? Because they didn't humble themselves. They didn't humble themselves. Go to Ezekiel 33 again. We, we looked at Ezekiel 33. I saw something in my study in Ezekiel 33 that I'd never seen before. And I know we studied Ezekiel. We might have to start over because I saw stuff in here that I didn't see. But look back at Ezekiel 33. We just finished in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Again, God's pleading with them. But look at verses 12 and 13. And he speaks to Elijah and he sa- sorry, Ezekiel, and he says, And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in his injustice, what he has done, he shall die. Do you see it? He's the one that declares us righteous. He's the one that gives us the wedding garments. And he's the one that makes us right in his eyes. If you trust in your own righteousness, you're out. You're out. Oh, folks, let me just say to you, I don't know how many people are listening right now. I, we get a monthly uh, printout from the company that does some of our web stuff. and It lets us know how many people have clicked on each page and for how long. And it even tells us all around the globe where people are clicking in to listen to Just Preacher Ministries teachings. And you think that some of you are just clicking in and listening to Tuesday night or Wednesday night's Bible study if you missed it or whatever. There are hundreds, folks, all over the globe that are actually listening to these Bible studies. And I say this to you who are here tonight and those who are listening. I have dealt with too many people who claim the name of Christ, who go to church and have been going for years. And when you ask them if they were to die, would they go to heaven? Their answer is, I hope so, because I believe in Jesus and I've been living a good life. You put any confidence in your own righteousness, folks, you're out. You're not in. He only gives grace to the humble. Who cares how good you've been? It's all about Jesus. Oh, and by the way, when you really understand that, it'll change your attitude to the people around you who aren't dressed appropriately in your eyes or doing what you think they ought to be doing or running in the halls or have soda in the sanctuary. Who cares? Because you'll understand that you're there by his grace. And you want them to come to know him. And it won't be about the rules anymore. The reason people get caught up in the rules is because they think they've earned righteousness by obeying the rules. So everybody else has got to follow the rules too. Let God do his work in the hearts. Yours first. Because of Israel's rebellion, Jesus is now making it very hard for them to understand any spiritual truth now. Because they closed their own eyes. Go back to Matthew 13. Look again at verses 10 through 15. He's making it hard now for the Jews to understand because they've closed their own eyes and they won't believe the light that they've received. Look at what it says in Matthew 13 again, verses 10 through 15. The disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Stop. Why has it been given to these guys and not to the rest? 
they humble themselves. To them, it's not going to be given. He opposes the proud. Therefore, now all of a sudden this makes a whole lot more sense. To the one who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. In other words, if you've had your eyes open because you've been humble and you were willing to say, Lord, I need you. Help me to see this truth. I, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm grieved over it. Help me. When you have responded in humility, he opens your eyes, does he not? And you have, but it isn't from you, it's from him. Did you catch that? If he's begun to open your eyes, he'll also continue to open your eyes to more. But to those who don't have, the reason they don't have is because they wouldn't receive it because they're too proud. Even what he has will be taken away. Do you see that? Even what he has will be taken away. That's why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes, who closed their eyes according to this verse? They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Here it sounds like God says, I don't want them to turn. Or as, as I'd have to heal them, and I don't want to heal them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they've closed their eyes, and because of that, I'm now making it hard. But if they would open their eyes, if they would humble themselves, I would heal them. Just like he said to the nation of Israel when he wept as he went into Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to gather you as a mother hand gathers her cheeks, but you weren't willing. Go to John chapter 12. Go to John chapter 12. Look at verses 35 through 40. John chapter 12, starting in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Hang on for a second. Is he talking to the Jews or the Gentile? He's talking to the Jews. Remember, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And even though he's speaking in parables now, even though he's making it harder for them to see, is it too late? No, it's not too late. He says to them, the light's among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, listen, they still did not believe in him. They made that choice. So that the word of Isaiah, word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? We're going to deal with that in a little bit. Lord, who's believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, because they would not believe, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah says, he blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Folks, listen. Keep reading, though. Now, nah, we'll, we'll come back to that later on. Maybe not tonight. But let me just say this to you. They had the opportunity to see and to hear and believe. But they wouldn't. And so there comes a point where God says, I've given you enough understanding and light to respond. Now it's going to be hard for you. And there'll come a point where your opportunity is gone. Plain and simple. Oh, he has the right to have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. 
and have compassion on whom he'll have compassion. Now, some of you, and I hadn't planned on going here because it's not in my notes, but I, I just feel like God wants me to chase this rabbit real quick. When God blinds the eyes of these people where they can't see anymore, it's actually an act of mercy on their behalf. Listen to me. When God blinds the eyes of those who've had opportunity and don't respond, and he doesn't give them any more light, it's an act of mercy on his behalf. You know why? Because the Bible, as we've already said, says that everyone's going to be judged in accordance with how much light they've received. And if Jesus knows there's going to come a point where you will not respond, no matter how much he bombs you with light, he's being merciful to them by not giving them any more light. Because otherwise, they'll be even judged even harsher on that day of judgment. He'll have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. Go to John chapter 3. Look at verses 16 through 21. For God, it's all summed up in this section, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. By the way, you know, keep saying the world, right? Not just those who would believe, everyone. He's, he's, he's available to all. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Like, like Susan said earlier, he sets the parameters. He sets the requirements for faith, for how you're going to be saved. It's belief in the name of Jesus. Oh, but look, this is the judgment. Verse 19. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We're about to move into another realm of this now where we start getting into even a little bit deeper theology on the fact that when God does open your eyes, you don't get any credit. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Here we see that he's died for the whole world, and whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because they've not believed in the only Son of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, lights come into the world, but men love darkness more than light. And they don't want to come into the light lest their deeds be exposed. But those of us who do come into the light, when we come into the light, who gets the credit? God does. It'll be clearly seen that our works have been done in God. Go to Acts chapter 7, look at verse 51. I've been realizing as I've been teaching and preaching tonight that I have hit a lot of stuff, and we're not even halfway through my notes yet, but I've hit a lot of stuff that's hard and deep, but the whole time I keep hearing the Lord say to me, look, you just say what I tell you to say, I'll take care of whether they get it or not. My human side wants to explain it and make sure you all get it, but that's not my job. My job is to share with you biblical truth and let the Spirit of God take it from there. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen's about to be killed for this. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. By the way, for those who are out there teaching that you can't resist the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible say? It's the only unpardonable sin when we resist the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. The nation of Israel had seen, they had heard. Actually, go to Isaiah chapter 53 real quick. You'll get verse 1. It's been referenced in what we just looked at in Matthew 13. 
But I want you to see where it was written in Isaiah 53. Because we get so quickly into the other verses about how he was bruised for our, born our, born our griefs and he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and so on. But look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Do you see it? In other words, they did hear. They did hear. Go to Romans chapter 10. He actually quotes from this passage again. Go to Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says this, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Keep reading. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone to, out to all the earth in their words to the ends of the world. In this passage where preachers love to say, well, how are the people out there going to hear unless someone preaches? Like, we got to hurry up and get out there. That's not the context of what Paul was saying here in Romans. He's saying, hang on for a second, guys. They have heard. This word of faith that we're proclaiming has been there all along. And God would never expect them to believe something that he'd never told them. How are they to call on somebody they had never believed in? And how are they to believe in somebody if they've never heard about them? And how are they to hear unless someone preached to them? And how are the people going to preach unless they've been sent? In other words, God said, I've been sending them out. I've been using creation. I've been using my spirit. I've been using my witnesses all along. Have they not heard? Of course they did. Folks, God is not unjust. Everyone hears. But he has decided that only those who humble themselves will get spiritual truth revealed to them. He gives us enough light to seek him. Doesn't that say that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for we must believe that he exists and that he rewards who? Those who diligently seek him. But keep in mind, Romans chapter 3. You're in chapter 10. Go back to chapter 3 and look at verses 10 and 11. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, no one, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Well, how can he reward those who diligently seek him if nobody seeks him? He draws them first. Remember John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Listen closely, folks. In order for people to be saved, the first thing God does is he begins to draw them. He used, like I said, creation and many other things, men are without excuse. He uses his spirit, he uses preachers. But all he's doing is giving them enough light to start seeking for him. 
Just because he's opened your eyes to the fact that he exists doesn't mean you'll be saved. And actually, if you go back and look at the story of the man who was healed of blindness, Jesus opens his eyes, does he not? He puts the spits in the ground, makes mud, puts the mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The guy comes back seeing. But later on, he meets Jesus, and, and, and Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Wait a minute, he'd already had his eyes open. Oh, no, he'd had his eyes opened a little to the fact that there was someone greater than him. And he'd had the prophecies, and he'd had the scriptures, and he'd had the, the upbringing in, in Israel. But just because God's drawn you and begun to open your eyes, you must humble yourself and seek him. By the way, if you are seeking him, <laughs> he started it. By the way, have you ever played hide and seek with your kids? Aren't you the one that says we're going to play hide and seek? And you say, I'm going to go hide and you come find me. By the way, that's how God does it. He says, I'm here, but you got to come find me. I'm here, but you got to come find me. Oh, and listen, as you're going to see in just a little bit. Just because he's drawn you and you start to look for him, if you humble yourself and look for him, you will have him revealed to you the full truth of how you're to be saved. But you still have a choice whether or not you're going to respond to that. That's why the Bible is very, very clear that those are going to be judged even more strictly. Those who have had their eyes opened even more to the fullness of who Jesus is, to the tasting of the heavenly gift. All those who actually have had their eyes open to who Jesus really is and how to be saved, and at that point say no. So hopefully you're still tracking with me so far. God wants all to be saved. God reveals enough light and truth for all to see. Man chooses if he'll respond to the light or not. But the scripture also shows that even though man is responsible for his response to God's revelation of truth, any insight, any understanding didn't come from man, but from God Himself. We're not going to have you turn there. Write it down. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. Jesus has just said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Does anybody remember what Jesus says to him next? Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Why? Flesh and blood didn't open your eyes, but my father in heaven. Did you catch that? Had they been drawn? Yes. But it's later on that he comes to a full understanding of salvation. And when he did, it was the Father who opened his eyes. It wasn't because he was intellectual or figured it out. It was the gracious will of the Father to open his eyes. By the way, does he want to open everybody's eyes? Yes, he does. But he's only going to give it to the humble. And the Jews have been hearing and hearing and hearing. And now, as it's getting time for him to head to the cross, he stops teaching as clearly. And he speaks to them in parables only. And it's his disciples who are humble enough to come meet with him in private and say, explain this to us. And He gives them more understanding and more truth. Let me show you one more thing here. God in his mercy and grace gave the law to reveal man's sin and need of a savior. He also sent his son, to be that Savior. And if you'll humble yourself and acknowledge the truth of your sin, God will open your eyes to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But you still must believe. But God is the one who graciously grants the believer with faith. This is where it gets crazy sometimes, folks. Do you remember in John chapter 3, Jesus said, the wind blows where it wills, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone 
who's born of the Spirit. As we get into this and wrap this up in the time that we have left here tonight, let me say this to you. Anyone that says they fully understand how this all works just lied to you. But we are accountable for what has been revealed to us. And what's been revealed to us is God wants everyone to be saved. And he begins their drawing on a simple level, if you will, to let them know that he's there. And when they humble themselves and search for him, then he gives them more understanding. And he shows them their need of the Savior and how the only way they can be saved through Jesus. And everyone still has to choose whether or not they're going to respond to that as well. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look, look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I remember when I first started preaching as a young boy in late teens. I used to always judge after I was done preaching how well I did. By how what, whether or not anybody walked the aisle. I didn't do anything. People walked the aisle, I felt really good, like I did a really good job. And if people didn't walk the aisle, I'd beat myself up until I finally realized I'm nothing. Folks, if you walk out of here tonight and you say, man, I've never understood it like that before. And you say, Jim really did a good job. You missed it. If you understand it, it's because God's opened your eyes. And it's available to everyone who's willing to humble themselves and say, Lord, teach me. Help me understand this. And if tonight you're wrestling with it still, that's okay. He's probably pushing some of your buttons to say, I want you to dig a little deeper. I want you to wrestle with it a little longer. I don't want you just to think that it's going to happen whenever you want it to happen. But if you believe that I'll give you spiritual truth, you'll stay and you'll humble yourself and say, well, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so don't sit here tonight and beat yourself up if you don't understand it. But if you humble yourself and say, Lord, I want to understand, he'll open your eyes. Go to chapter 3 here in 1 Corinthians and look at verses 17 through 31. Which doesn't make sense to me now that I realize there's not that many verses. I'm going to have to probably skip over that one and go back and look at where I, I wrote it down in my notes wrong. 1 Corinthians 3, I don't know why it's there. That's, that's, oh, well, we'll skip that one for another time. How does God, God's giving us the ability to believe and our freedom to accept or reject it work together? Like I said, no one knows. I'm going to say it again. How does God giving us the ability to believe and our freedom to accept or reject it work together? No one knows. But don't hurt yourself trying to explain it or figure it out. Just respond to what God's revealed to you. Go back to Matthew 13. Here's what we're going to close with tonight. Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17. And for those of you that are curious what that passage was that I wrote down in my notes wrong, you'll have to come to tomorrow night's Bible study because I'll have it figured out by then. <laughs> Go to Matthew 13, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Folks, instead of trying to figure out fully how God does this salvation, instead of trying to argue with your brother and sister who thinks they know or likes to argue about it, just rejoice 
in the fact that he's opened your eyes. You see, because some Christians get so caught up in trying to explain it, they actually move into a sense of pride. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, doesn't it? But love builds up. They move into a sense of pride where they're smarter than those and they love to tell everybody else how they've got it figured out. But Jesus actually said, you know what? Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Lots of prophets long ago longed to see what you're seeing, talking about himself being there, the fulfillment of the prophecies, but they didn't get to see it. Go to Luke chapter 10. It'll keep you humble on a daily basis to say, Lord, I don't fully understand how you did it, but thank you for doing it here. And just stay there and pray that you do it in the hearts and lives of others. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And they came back saying, hey, the demons even backed away when we talked. I mean, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Hey, Lord, that feels pretty good. I mean, wow, I'm pretty hopped up. Man, I want to go do more stuff. And God says, you're already starting to head into a realm you don't want to go. Because all of a sudden, you're going to start thinking it's about you and what you're doing. Back off. Just be glad that your name's written in the book of life. You know, God's been talking to me personally this year. Every year, I kind of begin the year with saying, Lord, what do you got for this year? And what are your plans? And how do, I wanna, how do you want me to line up with them and all that stuff? And I'm going to share something with you. Some of you may not know, but I was raised by a dad who I continually felt like I had to please him. And it never felt like it was enough. I don't know if some of you have been raised that way or not. But it didn't matter what I did. I didn't feel like it was enough. And unfortunately, I've carried that mindset with me into my relationship with God sometimes. Where I find myself trying to please him and trying to please him. And he keeps saying to me, you're good. And God has been saying to me over the last few days something that I've been saying to you for years. He said, Jim, if you'll walk with me every single day of your life, You'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be, exactly when you're supposed to be there. You probably have heard me say this to you a few times, have you not? And God turned it around and he said, Jim, the same with you. Don't have all these plans and goals to accomplish these things. I just want you to walk with me today. And folks, as I have stopped worrying about, the, and by the way, if you look at my calendar, you'd be amazed at how God has filled my calendar for this year. Unfortunately, I'm going to tell you now, we're not going to have as many Bible studies this year on Tuesday nights as we usually have. Because of my travel and what God's got planned. It's an amazing year he's got planned. Yet at the same time, even though my schedule's full, I find myself gravitating toward, but do you want me to do more? Are you wanting me to do more? Am I being lazy? Am I not doing enough? And God says, Jim, I want you just to walk with me. I'll take care of it every day and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. And I want to say the same to you. When we start getting God open our eyes to spiritual truths, our tendency is to kind of run with it. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll get there when you're supposed to get there. Just meditate on this truth that I've revealed to you and just rejoice that I've opened your eyes. Blessed are your eyes because they've seen. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 
1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Did you catch that? If you go back and look at Daniel, he's been given all this insight into the end times and all this stuff and this coming uh, man who's going to be approaching the ancient of days and be given a kingdom and all this. And Daniel says, when's this going to be? And he's told, not during your lifetime. You're going to go sleep with your fathers. These words are sealed up until the time of the end. But they've been opened in our time. And the prophets who prophesied, like Isaiah and others, wanted to know the question that, Isaiah, uh, so that Ethiopian eunuch asked when he was in the chariot. Who's Isaiah talking about here? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And we live in a time in which we're on this side of the cross and much has been revealed. Let me ask you, are you rejoicing in that? Or are you trying to figure it all out so that you can brag over your brother or your sister that you know more than they do? Folks, just rejoice in the fact that you're his and walk with him and watch he live out his life through you and you'll experience everything that he has for you. Now, as we close tonight, I can't close this lesson without an appeal to all that are listening. And that appeal is in Hebrews chapter 3. This is our last passage of scripture for tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. As I was writing these notes and putting this study together, I still realized that it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> he hasn't shut the door yet of the ark, if you will. It's not too late. And listen to what God says through the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Did you catch what he said? They had an opportunity. He revealed himself to them for 40 years. They hardened their own hearts. And there came a point where he said, they're not going to experience the rest. Take care, therefore, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not for those who sinned? And whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they wouldn't enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? See, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. I'm going to keep reading. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, many years afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, would God not have spoken sorry, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that none may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Folks, did you catch what he's saying? There were those who had an opportunity and they hardened their heart and God blinded them and they, they, they lost their opportunity. But that opportunity is still available today. For you're, If you're here and you're breathing and you're listening, you have an opportunity to be saved. Don't harden your heart. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I need you to open my eyes. Lord, reveal to me your truth. I seek you and nothing else. I believe your word and what it says. Open my eyes to this truth. And then when he does, you still have to respond. And if you don't, you'll be judged even more strictly because he's really opened your eyes to Jesus and you've trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant, which has sanctified you. Folks. I share this with all who are listening in this room and all listening online. The scripture is very clear that the time of his return is very, very soon. If you're listening at all and you don't know Jesus, you still have an opportunity to be saved. Respond to the Spirit. I love you. We'll see you next week.